remember how I usually have my hands. Because I just wanted to put them up here, but this does not feel right. <laughs> I'm going to keep them in my hands. feels lap. very militant. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 15 of Drumroll, Please. Zach and EJ Talk Sports. And episode 15, it has almost taken us a full two years to get here. We started in September of 2021. Mm-hmm. Congratulations on 15 episodes, my friend. Thank you. You too, EJ. <laughs> Our uh, New Year's resolution in July right now is going to be to actually start putting out our podcast more frequently, but I'm excited to be back. Today, we're going to talk a little bit NBA, start a free agency, and also a draft recap. We're going to touch briefly on the NFL and the current free agent situation around DeAndre Hopkins and Dalvin Cook, and then the first of many discussions around fantasy football, which uh, is a big theme on our show, and that is the topic that I tend to get the most excited about, because anybody who has watched any of the previous 14 episodes knows I am also a Mets fan and a Dolphins fan, so I have very, very little to discuss. Uh, It's normally positive. So fantasy football tends to uh, get the brunt of my attention. But how you doing, my friend? I'm doing good, EJ. How are you doing? Doing all right. Uh, my condolences on the Celtics. But uh, yeah. you guys you guys looked good up until that series with the Heat. Yeah, it was not pretty. It was not a great way to end it. <laughs> well, why don't you talk to me about what your thoughts were on the draft recap, uh, how you feel the Spurs are looking moving forward, and what you're seeing in the NBA as far as the start of free agency right now, what teams might have the opportunity to put together some super teams, and what teams might be uh, transitioning and you know maybe either going into a rebuild or a, a win-now mode. Yeah, I feel for the draft, there's the very obvious winners of the Spurs, the Hornets, and the Trailblazers who got the top three players. I think overall it was a very deep draft. You can see with the slide of Cam Whitmore, he went down to number 20. Who's a projected top five, maybe pick, definitely top ten. There's a lot of players who can really contribute to NBA teams. Uh, the two most interesting prospects, I think, are both of the Thompson twins. Because obviously they're both... Great very... band, by the way. Well, you wouldn't know that. I don't know that. You were no. born when they had their songs out. But yeah. all right. <laughs> uh, They're both, like, they're very athletic. Uh, they're great in transition, good passers. Neither of them can really shoot. And I think, they, while they have a lot of potential, I'm concerned about how they'll adjust to the NBA, because they were, didn't play college basketball. They didn't play in the G League. They didn't play in a professional overseas league like most of the guys. They played an overtime elite, which is essentially a league where they're playing against sophomores and juniors in high school. So obviously, as 20-year-olds, they had the upper hand on them. So I think while they have a lot of potential, I think it'll be very interesting to see if they pan out in the NBA. Well, let me ask you a couple, a couple questions here. As, as you know, basketball, for me, I mean, I enjoy it, but I am definitely not as in the weeds on it as you are. But is the NBA getting soft, first and foremost? And I'm almost actually going to say something contradictory with that. Can a player, like Wimbamba, who, with, with his build, traditionally guys like that in the NBA do not seem to be all that durable? Mm-hmm. So, what are your thoughts currently on the NBA? Are we becoming uh, a very, very soft, defensive, light league? And traditional big men that are very thin and lanky, uh, with them being able to withstand the rigors of a full NBA season and durability, do you feel that's an issue here, or do you see that as something that might just be player-specific? And guys that I'm thinking of are guys like Porzingis, 
uh, KD, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that just do not seem to be able to, you know, withstand the rigors of, you know, a full NBA season. Well, obviously, like the guys you said, I'm worried for Victor about staying healthy. Until he gets injured, though, I'll, I'll believe in him. Never want to root against him, hope he right. gets injured. So I think as of right now, until he gets injured, he I think he's going to stay healthy. But obviously, there's guys like the two you mentioned, Chet Holmgren, who got drafted last year, never played a game, got hurt before. Uh, so obviously, you want him to put on some muscle, put on some weight in the weight room. But I feel like it's get, the NBA is getting easier to maintain that build, like you said. So I feel like, in a way, it is getting soft. I don't think it's the player's fault. I think it's almost the league's fault. It's like, you look at the MVP, Joel Embiid. You watch him in the playoffs, which I did, because they played the Celtics. And him and James Harden were having a flopping contest. Throwing Marcus Smart, it was just like everyone was on the ground. Everything was being exaggerated. It wasn't really even like real basketball. Because the problem is, in the regular season, it's a very, they don't want any contact basically at all. The referees are very uh, fast to the whistle. It's a very, and because of that, the defense is very unphysical. Then come playoff time, a lot of teams pick up the intensity defensively, obviously, because it's playoff time. Then at that point, you get a lot of foul calls because Mm -hmm. the referees are used to calling it. And then, so people then start to flop to get foul calls. And also you add in load management and how players, star players, don't tend to play the full season. You really get a a league that's really, as much as I love it, on a downward spiral. So, and and I could obviously have this same conversation if we were discussing uh, football. But since we, we are in basketball, if you feel the league is moving in in a certain trend like what would you say right now um from an offensive standpoint or maybe defensive standpoint what kind of strategy do you see the league adopting right now as far as if i was to draw say an nfl comparison right now we're watching nfl teams try to load up on speed Mm -hmm. and you know speed and quarterbacks that are mobile and kind of, you know, using this speed to be able to make plays in space as opposed to previous styles of football like, you know, smash mouth football, you know, three inches in a cloud of dust or mm-hmm. your traditional, you know, uh, early on NFL set of, you know, two wide receivers, tight end, you know, and, and kind of playing you know the short game or using the run to open up the deep ball. We're seeing a shift right in, in, in uh, the NFL. What are you seeing on that level? in the NBA? Are you seeing the NBA game shift to a certain style? So obviously the three-pointer has been happening ever since Steph Curry really came onto the scene. Just every the three-pointers exploded. Uh, main point, the Houston Rockets with James Harden, they were shooting a ton of three-pointers. But a lot of these teams, they always had the ability that three's not dropping and they can still get buckets. The thing nowadays, everyone's just loading up on three-point shooters, and I'll use the Celtics as an example. Because in the playoffs, especially against the Heat, when the three wasn't dropping, we could not score. We didn't have, we rarely took it to the basket. We couldn't take a mid-range. And also, a lot of teams, instead of ball movement to get three-pointers, this at least the Celtics, a lot of times it's iso ball, I'm going to take two dribbles, try to beat my man, then I'll pass it to you. Two dribbles, try to beat my man, then eventually someone will just shoot a three. Really, and when you watch, when the Celtics did this at least, when you penetrate, try to score at the rim, or penetrate and kick out, you get better looks, and some more scoring, but at least the Celtics, and I think a lot of other teams, just relying too heavily on the three, where if a team's shutting down the three-pointers, the offense isn't really very consistent at all. Now, attack my logic here. Because this is something that, again, you know, I, I feel one day well, I'm going to be telling everybody we were doing this podcast as you're a GM, you know, running some sports franchises uh, front office. But, so, if 
Team Latessa runs out and says, I am going to, you know, innovate the game and I'm going to start, I'm going to bring some guys in that can start dropping threes. Now, everybody watches Team Latessa in one year kind of light up the league, go out and everybody starts kind of grabbing three-point shooters and modeling what Team Latessa can do. Why am I, is it smart for me being Team 4, 5, 6 down the line, watching maybe this model be successful, say, I'm going to run out and blow my team up? Or should my strategy be, instead of jumping on that bandwagon, should I instead load up on and build a team that is designed to stop that strategy? I think both, because as you see, if you see a thing, strategy that team's doing, it's working. You want to adapt some of that. You can't just become that team, because they'll probably still be better than you. So you do, well, you want to add some elements of that. So let's say it's three-point shooting. Uh, you want to add some three-point shooters because you don't want to be the team that can't shoot threes. But you also want to have the team that can stop that, that can, when you match up, like similar, I think, I believe Chris Paul said this, that Houston team in those years they were playing Golden State, they were built to beat Golden State. They weren't built to win in the regular season. They were built to beat Golden State. Obviously, they never got it done. But you want to build a team that can beat the team that has changed in the league. Right. Now, would you say the NBA is still in the era or the frame of mind of, you know, the, what do you want to call it, the power trio, three superstars, and we go get a championship? Or do you see, at any point, do you see the NBA moving away from this, where we need three bona fide superstars and now we're a contender or is that something that you think is a fixture right now as far as we're going to see with with teams you know um, putting together NBA rosters especially as we move into free agency and do you see any teams moving towards that right now looking to add on another superstar to to kind of get to that plateau or looking to move away from that I think what we've noticed is many teams keep trying to do the big three and since LeBron James it's rarely worked I mean, if you call the Warriors with KD a big three, they were more of a big four. They were four of the best players in the universe. Right. So obviously that's going to work. But you look at the Nets, that didn't work out. Where else? The Lakers, that didn't work out. Uh, a bunch of teams have tried a Sixers big three. Sixers tried. Yeah. It's oh. never worked. Yeah. And you notice teams that are more consistent, uh, you need to be really consistent. You've got to be a well-balanced team. You've got to have good rotation players to really win a championship. Or in the Lakers' case that one year, you need to have LeBron and AD. So right. if you're going for a big two or a big three, it has to be elite, and you got to have players who, at least for one year, are going to be on the court and play. And you look at, right now, the Clippers seem to be close to adding James Harden. doesn't make sense to me, because I would put a bet right now that James Harden, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, all three of them won't be on the court in the playoffs. If two of them are on the court in the playoffs, I think it's a win. You can't add, you can have three players who just don't stay healthy. And then you're giving up, what, draft picks, depth. And then when they're not playing, who's going to step up? Right. And also, uh, while those three would play off very well, because Paul George and Kawhi aren't the most ball-dominant players, they can also play defense and do other things, I just don't I don't see that working out. Well, that's actually was my next question, is, is it a matter of let me go out and collect three superstars or do you really, is it, what's more important is that these superstars truly are complementary pieces to each other. Because you get the sense that like a player like Harden, although he's constantly been thrown into these big, you know, trio packages, it just doesn't seem to pan out. And, you know, that, that 
it always, a lot of times, unfortunately, it seems to combust, seems to burn himself out of the places that he's in. So what do you put the emphasis on? So this is a two-part question. One, um, is it more about the superstars being complementary to each other, or is it about just sheer having, you know, ballers out there, and it really doesn't matter if they complement each other, if you just have that much firepower, you're going to win. And second question is, in your opinion, what is the most underrated component to putting together a quality championship caliber NBA team that you feel a lot of these teams tend to overlook as they're building a roster? So to answer your first question, I think while you would love to have a big three of superstars, which all gel together, it's hard to accomplish that because there's not that many superstars in the league. So to acquire three or two that really mesh together, I think you really just want to have, similar to what the Nuggets have, a superstar, one or two other stars, and then just a great supporting cast. Uh, and you want it, there to be no question on your team, this is our guy, he's, he's going to go win it. If you want to build a super team, the most important thing is having guys who can play. You don't want guys who get hurt. You notice the Nets big three with KD, Kyrie, and Harden. That they got nowhere. Huge disappointment. But it wasn't because they weren't talented. Well, they didn't really fit together. The games they played together where they were all healthy, they were great. They almost won a championship in 2021. Kevin Durant's foot was not on the line. They might beat the Bucks. They might win the championship. But it's just the most important thing is being able to play. This is your second question. I feel like while your superstar, your superstar is obviously the most important aspect, your leader of winning, the most underrated aspect for me, I'm going to say either the backup or just the complimentary point guard. Because you need someone to run your offense, whoever's running the offense. A ball handler who can get guys the ball in their spots and really uh, just set up the rest of the team and make everyone else better. So, last question. Which team right now, and we'll, we'll leave some of the obvious or front runners out, um, like Denver, who do you see being in a position next year to be a legit contender for an NBA championship that, you know, might be a team that's taking, you know, a significant leap by adding on a, piece, a like a key piece in this offseason? So I think a team that I expect to make a big move this offseason is the New York Knicks. I don't know if that's Zion, hopefully not, because what's going on, I don't know what's going on with Zion. But uh, whoever they add, they're going to be a really good player. And I think if they keep Jalen Brunson, which I assume they will, I assume in that trade it will be R.J. Barrett or Julius Randle going out. I like the supporting cast they're building there. Jalen Brunson was great last year. I think he can be, I don't know if he needs to be the best player, but he can definitely be one of the best players on a championship team. If they went on a playoff run this year, I think if they add another piece, they'll be in a spot to contend for a championship. Well, I mean, in talking about and transitioning over about teams adding pieces, in the NFL right now and taking a play from the NBA playbook, Dalvin Cook, who was uh, recently on uh, a radio show, had mentioned that he would not have been opposed and is not opposed to teaming up with DeAndre Hopkins and uh, going to the same place and creating an, an NFL super team, a la like the NBA super teams. With that in mind, as the NFL gets ready to start uh, training camp, we still have Hopkins and Dalvin Cook both currently still out there. Uh, where would you like to see these two players land, and where do you feel, if it is different, where do you feel they're going to wind up? So for Dalvin Cook, both of them, there's really two main options. 
So for Cook, we're looking at the Jets with the Dolphins. The Jets is very interesting because while he was hurt last year, they just spent a high draft pick, and he was really good when he played on Brees Hall. He seems to be the franchise running back. So I don't know what role Dalvin Cook would really play there because he'd come in, I assume they'd still want to have Brees Hall and him in the offense. So a two-back system, I don't know how that would work. So for that reason and the fact that Miami hasn't had a proven really good running back in a while, I'm going to say I think he should and I think he will go to Miami. I think he'll be the running back in that offense, and I'm interested to see where that'll go, obviously, because the offense was very explosive last year when Tua played. Right. I mean, being a Dolphins fan, I think he probably is going to go to the Dolphins. I think at this point it might even be a foregone conclusion, but maybe just not wanting to sign so he doesn't have to report right now to, you know, get, and can wait till either training camp starts or, you know, hedge his bets, wait and see if there's injuries and things that pop up during training camp that actually can increase his signing value. Uh, I think the Jets could be an interesting place for him to land, mainly because the NFL is moving to a two-running-back system, a tandem. You have Brees Hall coming back off an ACL, so I think the Jets would like to not have to thrust the majority of the workload on him right away. So having somebody like Dalvin Cook that could you know, shoulder that load, no pun intended with Cook and his constant shoulder injuries, but shoulder that load because um, Michael Carter has shown that he can't do it. That's mm-hmm. why they had a turn to Zam, uh, you know, last year, who let me down in the playoffs. God, kill me. Uh, another spot, and again, somebody else that, that broke my heart because I had him last year, Javante Williams, Denver might not be a, could be a good spot for him. Mm-hmm. Denver brought in P. Ryan from, uh, from the Bengals, but we don't know where Williams is going to be because he's got to work his way back. So, again, I think Denver would want to work him in slow, allow him to you know, uh, be able to show that he can carry the majority of the workload. And, again, that would be a spot where somebody like Dalvin Cook would make sense. But I'm with you. I do think he's going to go to Miami. Um, Miami has Moster and Wilson, who they both re-signed this year. Um, but neither one of them has shown that they can stay healthy mm-hmm. and, and play a full season. And uh, with the rookie that we drafted, uh, he is he's a smaller guy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things right now that I think everybody's going to be saying is you you know a stiff a stiff wind you know has a potential of, of hurting Tua. And you know the next injury for him you know and, and you, like you mentioned you ever want to see this happen to anybody, but it, it has a real potential to be career ending when you have that many concussions in such a short period of time. So having running backs that can, that can protect their quarterback is going to be a priority. So I don't know if they're ready to, to trust a rookie. You know, with a responsibility like that. So Dalvin Cook to me makes a lot of sense um, in that position. And like you, I agree. I do think he ends up a Miami Dolphin. I think the Miami Dolphins are in a complete win now position. They picked up to his fifth year option, but they haven't signed the big contract. So I think they're really going all in right now, surrounding him with as much talent as they possibly can to challenge the Bills, to put some distance between them and the Patriots, and you know, to go while the Jets are still, you know ramping up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and, and loading up and have a lot of young talent where the, you know, um, the Dolphins were only going to have Hill after this for another year or two, I think. Um, but how about Hopkins? Where do we see uh, Hopkins landing? So for Hopkins, it's very interesting because you're thinking Hopkins, an older receiver who has not won a championship. You'd probably think he wants to go somewhere where he can try to win a championship. No, he is, his top two options are Tennessee and the Patriots. Neither team which really has a realistic shot to win a Super Bowl next year. Uh, as a Patriots fan, I'd love to have DeAndre Hopkins uh, get Mac Jones a wide receiver one. 
see how good Mac Jones can really be. Because if he has DeAndre Hopkins and fails, there's really not another excuse where it's like, Mac Jones just isn't our quarterback. Uh, I see him going to the Patriots. I think he'd rather go to the Patriots than the Titans just because the Patriots are the better team, I feel like. I don't know what he sees in the Titans right now. Uh, I think he'll be in New England. I think the people in New England will love him. They're going to really want him. I think even with Hopkins, though, I don't think the Patriots are making the playoffs this year. And it's interesting because, you know, two people right now that are looking for work, um, Clowney and Hopkins, are also two people that willingly sat themselves last year and gave the impression they were quitting on their team. So I wonder if that's something that's factoring into the signability of these players. So to me, also, while Cook, who's a younger player than Hopkins, I believe, mm-hmm. um, is considered on the back end of his shelf life as, as a running back, because that they expire quicker than receivers, Hopkins is still fairly considered a fairly younger receiver in, in terms of the longevity of the, of the position. So it seems like part of, of what he should be focusing on or could be focusing on is rebuilding his image, um, which is why I think maybe if a player like him is going to wait to take you know a very sweetheart or incentive-laden deal, he's not going to go and pull the trigger on that right now. We know there's a lot of turmoil with the Bills and with Stephon Diggs, and now I heard that the Bills came out and they mentioned that they wouldn't be opposed to trading Diggs. If that happens, you know instantly then that Hopkins – would would you know be would be a, a somebody that they would absolutely have to entertain bringing mm-hmm. in, and then you could see somebody like the Chiefs, you know, looking at the last minute if Hopkins was willing to sign an incentive laden deal, bringing him in. But I'm with you. I think that if you really want Mac Jones to have a fighting chance to develop as a as a quarterback, um, especially in this this you know powerful AFC right now, you have to get him a weapon, somebody that can make a big catch on a third down, that can go up in the end zone you know, and make a contested grab. And the funny thing is, for as big of a genius as Bill Belichick is, if you actually go back and look through his draft records, the under his tenure, the Patriots have a horrible track record of drafting wide receivers. Mm-hmm. They just do not get that position right. Mm-hmm. Every other position they and seem to get right. They just yeah. get, get it wrong. So I think that, you know, this is something that they need to do. So I'm with you that, that the Patriots would be um, a great spot to go and, uh, you know, make a big push for um for D Hop. So now that we got these NFL teams looking to load up on talent, that means we have to get ready for fantasy and start mm. getting ready to load up on our teams. And while we have plenty of time and there'll be plenty of episodes where we'll be talking about our sleepers and you know draft position for certain players, too high, too low, and all that good stuff, I want to touch briefly with the time we have remaining today on which should be one of the most important things, and that is your fantasy football draft strategy. Now, one thing that's been gaining a lot of popularity, and I did try it um, in theory last year, but actually didn't end up making the uh, pulling the trigger on it, uh, was the zero running back strategy, which mm-hmm. is no running backs first two rounds, and then load up on running backs in the mid-rounds when everybody else is grabbing their other players. I had every intention of going in and gra- and and doing the zero running back strategy, but then I opted to for best player available at the last second, which grabbed me uh, Javante Williams mm. and CeeDee Lamb, which, you know, for me last year didn't pan out. But uh, I'd like to know your thoughts on different draft strategies, which are the zero running back strategies, um, best player available strategy, and then you also have the ADP strategy, which is, you know, uh, drafting off the average draft position of a player. 
and and trying to you know build your team uh, based off that. For me, I feel this year the zero running back strategy, as I probably said last year, could be a very very you know uh, effective strategy given the depth at the position, and maybe in the first round reaching to grab uh, players like you know Jamar Trace, a Cooper Cup coming back, a Justin Jefferson, a Travis Kelsey, and then you know, uh, in the later rounds, looking to find that value at the position where we saw last year with guys like you know, Damian Pierce, uh, Kenneth Walker, mm-hmm. Brian Robinson. Uh, so we got, we got Brees Hall. So you got the depth. You got that rookie depth out there. Um, even guys like Gerald McKinnon. Um, but what are, what are you thinking about right now as far as where we are getting ready to lead into a fantasy season and draft strategy? With this being said, I got to put a disclaimer. I have not won a championship in two or three years. Uh, but my strategy, at least, I don't plan on going zero anything. I plan to go in with a very balanced strategy because if you go zero running back, let's say you take your running backs in the third and fourth round, that has a chance of working out. I'm not in love with the running backs in the third and fourth round. They're fine. But when you get past there, if you wait till the fifth or sixth round, there are no running backs. You're looking at guys like Antonio Gibson, uh, Brian Robinson. I just don't love that. So I think... I like the best player available strategy, but you got to start by having a well-balanced first few rounds where you go running back, receiver, running back, or you take a tight end, you take Kelsey. Uh, I don't think you can really, unless you're getting Mahomes and Kelsey, I don't see taking both a tight end and a quarterback early because then I feel like you're going to be too weak at the wide receiver and running back position. So I really like taking either, I usually like a receiver in the first round, at least this year because there's so many great receivers, and I don't know if I can really trust the top running backs. But if I make the exception for a running back in the first round, you've got to make sure to pick up a receiver in the second or third. So you're not like falling in the fifth and sixth round. You're like, oh, I need a receiver. I need a running back. Instead of just saying, I'll just take whoever's the best here. Well, if you're going, <clears throat> if you're going foundational early on, then the question becomes, how do you handle your late rounds? Are you building <clears throat> foundational through your entire draft so you're making sure that you have handcuffs you're making sure that you know you got uh, backups, proper backups at each position, or are you going for high upside guys? You know that you could turn and say, hey, you know maybe some of these players I'm going to go and I'm, I'm not going to take the handcuff for my you know Jonathan Taylor. I'm not going to take the handcuff, you know for uh, you know Christian McCaffrey, but instead I'm going to start grabbing high upside guys in the mid late rounds. Hope a few, I can hit on a few and maybe make a mid season trade. Before I got to start picking up backups, you know, backup QBs or, you know, uh, defenses for my, or unless you're going to stream defenses and kickers the whole season, um, you know, flipping these guys, making a trade. You know, if you're not trading, you're not trying kind of a thing. I haven't been big with trades. So for me, I've tended to look at using my middle to late rounds as high upside guys and felt last year I did hit on a few with, you know, uh, Pierce. Walker, Alave, mm-hmm. um, early on, but my first three rounds last year was uh, Williams, CeeDee Lamb, and Allen Robinson. So I almost threw my first three rounds away, mm-hmm. and then I'm pretty sure my fourth round might have been Amara, um, who I really did like. So I didn't start really, and then Jalen Hurts, I got in the fifth, which he won't be available this year <laughs> no. in, in the fifth round. So are we talking about, when you're saying foundational, you talk about going out and reaching in those rounds and grabbing elite talent, 
or are you talking chalk? So are you going to jump and reach for Jalen Hurts or Justin Fields in your first two rounds and then go for your upside guys? Or are you going to pick in your first three rounds and let the draft come to you in terms of strategy? I feel like I say let the draft come to you. Uh, last year, I wish I took a lot of high upside guys, and I plan to do that again this year. But you need to have some guys who can just come in and play. Because last year, uh, obviously, Trey Lance was my starting quarterback. I do not believe I drafted a backup. So then he got hurt. I had to scramble. I ended up with Geno, and then I ended up with Justin Fields. So it ended up fine. <laughs> but I and my running backs were hurt. They were underperforming. I had Najee. He was underperforming. I had no one on my bench I could turn to and say, I can trust this guy to give me seven points. I had no one. Everyone was just like, well, maybe at some point they'll have a great week. There was no one I could trust to put in my lineup. So because of that, I started the year really bad, and I couldn't really recover from that hole. Uh, so I really think it's really a mix. You want to have some high upside guys. You don't want to fill your bench with high upside guys. You want to have, if you know your running back or your tight end is injury prone, you want to have a backup. You want to have the handcuff. You really just want to play by year with your team. But you can't have all high upside guys, I don't think. Right, which I guess is the argument about taking you know certain quarterbacks or reaching on certain quarterbacks is the point differential isn't steep enough to justify the draft position. But, for example, you can absolutely justify jumping up and grabbing Kelsey or somebody like that early because an elite tight end, the you know the the drop from the elite in in that position category to the pedestrian is a really steep cliff it falls off. Mm-hmm. Where when you look at the quarterback position, even a running back position, you kind of taper and taper and taper down where you're not seeing, you know, a huge league winning difference between, you know, what a Pat Mahomes put up and a Justin Fields put up, mm-hmm. or what a Pat Mahomes, you know, put up and a Joe Burrow put up. But, you know, you're gonna see an elite position with, you know, or a, a elite point differential between what a Travis Kelsey put up and what a Hunter Henry put up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. for sure. So I think uh, you know we'll have plenty more of this to get into as we definitely start digging into uh, different positions, but we are going to leave it there for now. My friend, I am psyched to be back. I know we've made our commitment to get uh, more episodes out, more content out more frequently. If you are following us on social media, if you're following us on YouTube, Feel free to let us know what your favorite draft strategy is, as maybe I'll be borrowing it, considering Zach said he hasn't won a title in uh, a couple years. I have not won a title ever, and I think we're going on maybe 15 years or somewhere like that in, in our fantasy league. So I could use all the help that I can get. But till then, everybody, stay cool, and we'll see you next time.